Welcome to the City Life Podcast. Our desire is to make Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Today's message is entitled, Who Am I? How would you feel if you had to spend um, a day in a room full of strangers, like total strangers, uh, in a social activity all day long? But I'm, and I'm not talking about in a lecture because many of you, most of you in this culture, you sit in rooms with, full of people in a lecture all day you know, from time to time. But I'm, gonna t- I'm talking about something that's interactive. But during this interactive time, you are not allowed to say your last name and you're not allowed to tell them what you do for a living. Now, would you feel comfortable? Would you be able to get through the day doing that? It'd be really, really hard, especially for men, because you find identity in the name and your occupation. You see, but our full name and what we do for a living, or, or maybe the company that we work for, is, is just this way of putting things out, out there to kind of let people know who we are so they can go ah, and they can put us into some kind of a box but really that doesn't say much I mean because if, if, if I were to again if I were just to come to the room and say hi my name is Tim you might think man that's Tim McGraw <laughs> Ooh, this is gonna be fun or, or maybe Tim Tebow oh that's that's awesome or you might think I'm Tim Kane or or Tim Conway if you guys know who those guys are but 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 um Tim Kane was the guy who ran for vice president remember okay do you guys remember him? All right. So I don't think you guys even remembered him. So, so that, I thought it would get at least a ooh out of, out of you guys. Like, yeah, he, he almost was the vice president. All right. But, but just throwing the name out there, Tim, could leave you wondering, okay, is, is, is he a country singer? Is he, a, you know, is he a football player? Is he the formal, former vice presidential candidate? Or is he some um, old comedian? But if I were to go into that setting or any setting and say, hi, I'm Tim Woody and I'm the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth, then people would pretty much be able to figure out who I was. And if they did, they would put those search terms into Google and within two minutes they'd be able to come back, hey, and ask me about my life and ask me about my family. But I want to propose to you something interesting, that who you are is not really based upon your surname nor your occupation. And that's the opposite of what our culture is saying. So I want us to go deep. I'm asking you guys to think really, really deep. Uh, in the Bible, there was this guy by the name of Peter. You, most of you have heard from him. Uh, in, fa- in fact, a couple of weeks ago, um, Austin talked a little bit about him. But he was a man who was trying to find himself. Uh, to describe him, if I, I was just thinking, now how would we describe Peter? Well, well basically, P- Peter would be described this way. Uh, People would say he was a fisherman, he's hardworking, he's passionate, he was part of the zealot political group, which was like, I I would call it like a contemporary equivalent to the Tea Party. Uh, He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and he was the polar opposite of one of the other disciples, who was Matthew, who who happened to be a liberal tax collector and a Roman government sympathizing worker. (laughs) And Peter's personality is intense, and he's out on the edge, he's aggressive, he's also extremely loyal, but sometimes he speaks without thinking, and he even denied Jesus three times. 
This guy, Peter, who was trying to find himself, who was even renamed by Jesus, if you want to try to see how crazy this whole thing was. His name was Simon, but then Peter, then he, then he said, you have this new name, and it's Peter, which really means rock. And, and after Jesus gave him this name, then Jesus announced to his disciples, he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And all these moments, Peter's going, wait, who am I? Peter was the first disciple to have confessed to others that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was the guy who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Jesus. Peter was the guy who walked on water and another time he took a sword and he lopped off the ear of a guy who was trying to arrest Jesus. At the Last Supper, he was the man, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he said, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. And then Jesus said, okay, then I'll have nothing to do with me. He goes, okay, give me a bath, whole bath. <laughs> he was also married. We know that, that his mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. Um, the scripture even lets us know that Peter had this kind of a hillbilly accent, a Galilean accent. And at the end, history tells us something else about Peter. It's not in the scriptures, but it's in history that he was crucified in the city of Rome under uh, uh, Emperor Nero, and he was hanged upside down on his crucifixion cross uh, at his own request because he saw himself as unworthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And that just gives you a glimpse into Peter on the outside. And we know that Peter struggled with his identity. So if Peter would struggle, so we might also. But it's interesting, Peter finally came to terms with who he was, and he began to help others, really in churches all over the place, to understand who they are, so that they could live in who they are. And he wrote it out for us, thank God, and, and so and we're going to take a look at that. Now, understanding the type of man who wrote these words, you can begin to drink this in. So I've given it to you from the message version of the Bible, understanding the type of person he is who's now come to the reality of understanding who he is, and he's teaching others, he begins to say these words. And take a look at it. It's on the screens, and I have this for you in the message version, 1 Peter 2. It says, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for a high calling of priestly work chosen to be a holy people god's instruments to do his work to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted friends this world is not your home so don't make yourselves cozy in it don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices, again, about Christians. They'll be won over to God's side, and they will be there to join in the celebration when Jesus arrives. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think that Christians are a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God and not by breaking the rules. And treat everyone you meet with dignity and love your spiritual family and revere God and respect the government. Of course, the government had him executed. Interesting that he knew who he was. See, Peter adopted a powerful outlook on discovering our identity and our purpose and our calling and our function. And what he says really has 
everything to do with finding me. So to find me, I really need to know who I am. See, finding ourselves, again, it's not what we do. It's, it's not, not our name. Honestly, it's not all that important what your job title is. It really isn't. But who you are is going to be manifested through how you do what you do. I'll say it again. This is, a, this, is, this is key right here. Who you are will be manifested through how you do what you do. Now look in your Bibles in John chapter 1, verse 2. Now, I, I'm really passionate about people receiving Jesus. I'm very serious about that. I, I want people to receive Jesus into their lives, to forgive sins, uh, so that Jesus will be in charge of your life. But if you do that, and when you do that, you take on a new identity, and you actually begin to know who you are. John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says this. It says, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Three important words right there. Children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay, this is critical, and this is really our starting place in finding me. So when you get saved, you come to Jesus, or you might say accept him as your Lord and Savior, become a Christian, ask Jesus into your heart, however you want to say it. You are born into a new identity. You're born into this family called the family of God. You're a child of God. So who are you? Who am I? I am a child of God. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Come on. I am a child of God. Just say those, those, those words up there. I am a child of God. Now, this is our core identity. You might say, well, that's so basic. Now, really, there's so much crazy awesomeness in this. I want you to grasp it. I don't want you to turn it off and go, well, that's nothing. No, no, this is, this is big. Because, first of all, God, that means he's your father, the God who just threw those stars out there into the universe who shaped this world and formed man. He has taken up residence in you and you have an identity now that transcends your surname. It transcends your occupation. It's interesting, but our fathers have a lot to do with the way that we see ourselves. And uh, since there's no perfect father on earth, and if we're going to understand the purest form of identity, we really need to get to know our Father, God. Because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, a dad is disconnected from his children. Um, many times abusive, sometimes withdrawn or absent, quite often emotionally unavailable. And many times, if your interests do not or did not align with his interests, you're in the dark. You might have your dad's surname, but you may also feel deeply detached from your father. In fact, most people at some level have what we call father issues. Uh, for some of you, um, they're, they're really painful. There's a lot of hurt there, and it's of no fault of your own. And the good thing is, is that also makes us all candidates for the truth that the Father 
this other father that I'm talking about chose you. It's like, like Peter said. He said it's a father. He's a father who's perfect, who can give you a stronger identity than the name that's even currently assigned to you. See, your earthly father didn't choose you. Now, I love my father. I love my dad. I, I honestly think my dad is the best dad in the world. My dad can beat up your dad, you know, but, but <laughs> he really can't. But dad didn't choose me. Wayne Woody didn't choose me. I was simply born into his family. See, God, on the other hand, is the father who chose us and he allowed us to be born into his family, giving us a foundation that we can live our lives on. And it's really an incredible life. And even just understanding this, grasping this, can help us to break free from maybe some of our previous father issues that are crippling us. So, so no longer do we have to live in this emotional uh, flux where we're trying to get and figure out our identity based upon our name or what we're doing for a living. Because God says this, God says your identity is found in who you are, which is a child of God. Now, historically, cultures uh, have found ways of generalizing groups of people and assigning labels to them. And, and there's a, we actually do a lot of that, more than we even realize. And it's, and it's based upon uh, people's and maybe their ethnicity, their social standing, occupation, what generation they're from, or their income level, and, and, it's just, and it starts out as kids. You know, really, as the youngest kids, you don't notice it, but as you, I remember when I was in junior high, I realized that I had to adapt to one of the two primary groups. It was very clear. In Harlingen, in, in Harlingen Texas, down in Rio Grande Valley, South Texas, uh, we had a very simple way of doing this. And um, junior high, it was this, is you were either a surfer or a kicker. I don't know if you guys had those terms around here, but we had them in the valley. And now a surfer didn't literally surf, although we did live very close to the beach and we were out there all the time, but they most definitely listened to pop music, wore trendy clothes, and definitely wore Levi's jeans. Whoa. On the other hand, kickers most certainly listened to country music. And they wore, and you have to say it like that, Wrangler jeans. Now, I wouldn't be caught dead in Wranglers. Still, still to this day, it's like, I don't want Wranglers. I'm not a kicker. <laughs> See, I was a surfer, plus I actually like to hang out at the beach, although I didn't surf. I didn't even learn to surf until I was 35 years old. But in high school, now the, 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 all of a sudden it starts breaking out into more divisions. There were some more divisions that were kind of introduced to us at Harlingen High School. And not just kickers and surfers, those retained their identities. But there were three others that kind of just happened. And one was preppies, and others was the nerds, and the other was the rockers. Now, if you wore a rock band t-shirt and did drugs, you were a rocker. Here's something funny. Devin came out the other day and walked downstairs. He was wearing this t-shirt that I swear, I mean, friends of mine wore that when I was in high school. And I looked at him and I said, what are you wearing? He's like, it's a cool shirt. It's like, you're not a rocky drugger. Druggy, what, what, are you, what are you doing? He's like, that is not what it means today. It's like, it's hard for me to see that. So, but I wasn't a rocker. I, you know, I liked the music, but I had some great rocker friends. I, I really did. A nerd? No. No, no. I mean, 
I was not smart enough, and I most certainly refused to carry around those, one of those Texas instrument calculators the nerds carried around everywhere. A preppy? Yeah, but I was kind of like more of a surfing preppy, but never a kicker, never a kicker. I, 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 I did not like Copenhagen. I tried it. I didn't like it. It was wrong. It was evil, very evil. I thought I was going to throw up. When I kick her friends, tried to recruit me. It's like, I am a surfer. I will not touch this the rest of my life. I remember saying that. And, and I refused to wear cowboy boots. It's just like too bulky. You can't run in that, you know, and you certainly don't wear those to the beach. So, so, uh, so there's also there's these categories that we put people into, and there's another one is generations. Uh, people will try to assign a label on you and tell you who you are, give you an identity based upon the generation in which you were born. For me, my generation is called Generation X or Gen X. What I was told is that my generation is a generation that's lost in the sea of rapid societal change. My generation is smaller and weaker than the generation of the baby boomers, that my generation is the latchkey generation, which means that you go home and there are no parents there because they're at work. Uh, it, it, we had weak parenting, supposedly, and little adult supervision. Uh, we were called slackers. Someone asked me earlier today about my mic, says, do you, have, do you have enough slack on it? I was like, you call me a slacker? You know, I, was like, I still react to that. But we were called slackers, uh, cynical, disaffected, basically bleak. We were the MTV generation. We were there. I was there when it started. I want my MTV. All right. I, I know about MTV. That's back when it was really music and concerts. Very different. But, but uh, those guys who identified my generation got it a little bit wrong, actually a lot wrong, because now my generation is, is, is considered to be not that. They're considered to be the active generation, the happy generation, uh, achieving work-life balance and very entrepreneurial. So why the annoying Gen X label? And why does someone say, do you have enough slack in your mic? And I'm thinking, are they calling me a slacker again? <laughs> you know? And then there are millennials. Um, <clears throat> US, US Census Bureau actually says this, that if you were born between the years 1982 and 2000, you're a millennial. Okay, can you believe that? That's the first time the government has actually declared the identity of a person based upon when they were born. Regarding millennials, there are all types of things said about them. You know, I hear it all the time. I just saw a commercial the other day, yesterday, about this, is about, about the participation trophy. I, I'm tired of hearing that, okay? That they're fantasy-driven, and they're entitled, and they're cushioned from the real world. And so we push these stereotypes on anyone who's born. And, and the culture is trying to tell you who you are. This is serious business. So I'm going to do something very highly participatory today. I'm asking you guys to do this with me, but it's going to, it's going to be impactful. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I would like everyone in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way though, okay, who was born between the years 1982 and 2000, all you have to do is stand. I'm, but you're going to be standing for about five minutes, but I need for you to stand. Come on, just stand up. If you're born between 82 and 2000, because I'm going to illustrate something for you here, and I want you guys to look at me. I don't want you looking around, look at me, because I'm going to read to you a quotation that was written about the young adult generation. Listen to this. It says, this generation loves luxury. They have bad manners and contempt for authority. They have no respect for the older generation and talk nonsense when they should be working. 
This generation does not stand up any longer when mature adults enter the room. They contradict the way they were raised. There's too much talk in social settings. They inhale their food, and they even lay their legs on the table and tyrannize their elders. Another writer writes this. He says, I see no hope for the future of our people if we are dependent upon the frivolous generation of today. For certainly, all of this generation is reckless beyond words. When I was a boy, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of authority, but the present generation is exceedingly wild and unable to use restraint. And still another generation, excuse me, another author, another person says this. These are all significant leaders. This person says this. The world is passing through troubled times. The new generation of today thinks of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They talk as if they know everything, and what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness for them. I'm going to tell you now who wrote these words. The first quote was from Socrates, 500 B.C. The second was from Hertus, Hestus, excuse me, Hestus the Greek, a famous poet, 800 B.C. The third was from Peter the Hermit who spearheaded the first crusade in 1274 AD. Stay standing. This down-talking toward younger generations has been around forever. It has been. Now listen to me here. I think it's a tragedy because people of my generation think, okay, now it's time to pick on you. So we're going to make generalized statements about you based upon your birth date. And I'll tell you, for my generation, it's wrong. For those of you who are boomers, Gen Xers in this room, we're not going to do that. See, what they're trying to do, guys, listen carefully. They're trying to define you based upon your age and tell you, you really don't measure up. And it's a message of discouragement, and it's a message of degradation. That message is the opposite message of what the church is supposed to give you. Stay standing. Because the church must build hope, give you, give you faith, and teach you to bless one another because we're going to bless you. And we're not going to curse you with words of generalization. Stay standing. Almost as dangerous of this attitude is another attitude that comes from my generation that says, hey, just go find yourself. Go, 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 go chase your dreams. Be driven by your passions, and eventually you're going to figure it all out and everything's going to be okay. That's detrimental. It sounds nice, but it's empty and irresponsible, and I'm going to attack that over the next couple of weeks. Let me, let me show you a better way. I, as a pastor, master trainer, whatever I am, I want to speak over you a blessing based upon 1 Samuel 16. There's a man by the name of Jesse who had seven sons. And the prophet Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen these. Are there any more sons? Jesse said, yeah, there's still the youngest, but he's, he's just out making music with the sheep. He's strumming on an instrument and playing with weapons. <laughs> Samuel said, send for him. When David entered the room, the Lord said to the prophet, stand up, rise, and anoint him. He is the one to become the next king. The prophet took him and he anointed this young man in the presence of his older brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So today, I'm asking 
that same question, are there any more sons? And God is answering, yes. There's still a younger generation who has been minimized and mocked by this culture. But God says, you are anointed, you are to rise up, and you are to step out. And where the enemy has come to devour you and your generation through abortion and divorce and confusion and pornography and drugs and fatherlessness to no fault of your own, the Lord says, I'm going to raise up a standard against the enemy and he will do great exploits through you. So millennials, do not let anyone look down on you because of your birth date. Don't let anyone say, they can't do it. For the Lord will come upon you with power and you will work signs and you will change culture and you will impact culture makers and the culture will not change you. That is my prayer for this generation. I believe that this is the generation that will not be overcome with evil, but will overcome the enemy. And you will be able to stand where religion has tried to stand in the past, but they couldn't because they were doing it in the name of religion. But you're going to do it in the name of Jesus because you're certain of your identity. So today, I bless you. I bless this generation and we, the church together, bless this generation. And we say, Lord, let your power be upon them. And we will say, look what the Lord has done. You're blessed. You're sons and daughters of God. You're children of God. Now you can have a seat. Heck yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Um, Thank you. And that's, that's a truth not just for millennials, but that's for every one of us, guys. Stop letting fatherlessness or a lack of an anchor, assigned identities, and personal pain tell you who you are. Today, I'm declaring boldly for you, for the people who are part of my church, is that God does give us identity. He gives us purpose. He gives us calling. And He gives us direction. And I'm going to be walking you through a process over these next few weeks. We're going to be rejecting wrong identities and being operating as children of God because a child of God, stinking, hasn't made. The New Living Translation translates Peter's words this way. You are a chosen people. Get that. Chosen. You're, you're royal priests. Two words that don't even go together. You're royalty and you're a priest. I'll explain what that means later. That's crazy there. You're a holy nation. How can you be, whole, how can you be like a holy nation? I'm, you know, I'm flawed. It's just because you're a child of God. You're blessed. You're God's very own possession as a result <laughs> you can show others the goodness of God because he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light once you had an identity had excuse me once you had no identity as a people now you're God's people once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. This is where it all begins. Who are you? I am a child of God. Say it with me. 
I am a child. Please, no movement at this time. Leaders, I want you to pray now. Everyone, just close your eyes and focus internally. Maybe you're here today and you had trouble even calling yourself a child of God or reading that. And maybe you've never even surrendered your life completely to Jesus. You've drifted from your relationship with God. But if you want to know this Jesus that I do talk about and you want to really embrace your God-given identity as a child of God, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond with a very clear signal to lift your hand. And it's at the count of three. When I do that, you lift your hand so I can connect my faith with yours. One, two, three. Raise your hand so I can connect my faith with yours. Just keep your hand up. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? I'd like for us to all stand right now, please. And If you raise your hand, I want you along with the entire congregation to pray these words with me. Come on, I want us to pray these words. This is, a, this is about receiving that identity. This is a first step forward. Pray this, dear Jesus. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past. And I embrace my identity. As a child of God, thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for new hope. In Jesus' name, Thank amen. you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.